Hey everyone, welcome to Wired Talks, the Wired podcast where we discuss all things crypto. So whether you're a veteran or a crypto noob, we're all learning together. This is your host, Thomas Scaria. I am gainfully employed here at Wire. <laughs> I'm also joined by uh, my co-host, Louis Abood, who at this point needs no introduction. Louis, welcome to the show. <laughs> Pleasure to be here. Not Thank sure you. about that, but okay. <laughs> yeah, Louis, our fund manager and head of research at Wire. And of course, I'm joined by our guest from DYDX. Uh, first, I'll start with Antonio Giuliano, founder and CEO of DYDX. Antonio, welcome. Thanks for having me. And uh, Shoshan Yin, head of operations at DYDX. Shoshan, welcome. That's Thanks. Joe Shung. Oh, <laughs> God. <laughs> we should spend the show talking about that. <laughs> I've literally met you like four times now, and every single time I've butchered your name, so apologies for that. <laughs> It's all out there in the open. Okay. Uh, well, uh, last time we we were uh, we spoke, we were rolling into your new beautiful North Beach office. I think Louis described it as being uh, angelic, <laughs> right, Louis? Yeah. There's just so much light, and uh, you guys are growing really quickly. I think when I was there, uh, there were maybe five people, and then and now let's fast forward a month or so, and then now you guys are uh, six or seven people. Yeah, we're at six at the moment. Okay. Um, and hopefully a couple more pretty soon. So we're trying to ramp up hiring for engineering, um, design, and a couple of different operations positions. So um, yeah, excited to grow the team and have more people in this angelic angelic office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right on. Um, so before we dive into an overview of DYDX, we'll likely start with the margin trading protocol that's out already. But if you can give us a brief background of, uh, of you know, yourself and how you got into crypto, that'd be fantastic. Let's start with uh, Antonio, and then we'll go to Joshan. Yeah, absolutely. So I got into crypto in 2015 when I was working at Coinbase as a software engineer. I kind of got to Coinbase differently than pretty much everyone else who was there. Most people were like super into Bitcoin and that naturally brought them to Coinbase. I didn't really know anything about Bitcoin before that, um, but I was a computer science major at Princeton then and then just decided to work at Coinbase as my first full-time job. So while you were there, everybody's just super excited about Bitcoin and talks about it literally all the time. Um, so it's pretty hard to not get excited about it. So that's kind of when I got into the space and then eventually wanted to start my own thing. Uh, and then the first thing I started was a search engine for decentralized apps. So built that whole thing out for a little while um, and then just nobody was really using it. And kind of the fundamental problem was nobody was really building decentralized apps in a big way. So there was like nothing to search for. So it was just too early in the market. So then kind of really took some time to think about something that would be actually useful to build in the market right now. And most people are just using cryptocurrencies for speculation or trading. Um, and that was just around the time when the first decentralized exchanges, things like ZeroX and Kyber and stuff like that were starting to come out. Um, so I took a look at those and thought about what I could build on top of that um, and came up with the idea of margin trading and derivatives. And that's kind of when the idea for DYDX was born. Great. Shoshan? Yeah, so uh, I, I only got into crypto pretty recently, so I'm a pretty uh, bit of a noob in that sense. Um, so I met Antonio in the end of 2017, sort of just after he raised the seed round. Um, had been following crypto just a little bit on my own up until that point. Um, and I was working in healthcare at the time. My background's in like strategy consulting, so I worked at Bain Company and then at a healthcare startup called Nimble. Um, and then at the time, was looking for a new opportunity I uh, had a couple of folks from uh, who I'm friends with at, at Coinbase who actually sort of like said great things about DYDX and when I got talking to Antonio, kind of just went from there. Uh, the whole thing made a lot of sense to me and was like pretty excited to be involved in the space. 
Uh, and then, yeah, obviously like the role being kind of like the first sort of non-technical person in the company was a pretty exciting opportunity to jump into. So uh, that's how I kind of got involved in the space. Interesting. So uh, you could say that being a kind of a, from a consulting background is quite kind of antithetical to the, you know, grassroots kind of tech break the rules culture in, in crypto. Um, what was it that actually attracted you to the idea of crypto coming from that background? Yeah, I think um, ultimately it was like a good mix of different things I was interested in, right? Like I studied economics at school. So there's like a lot of kind of like fundamental economic concepts with crypto. Um, I interned at like an investment bank. So like the financial side was like always interesting to me. Um, and then I moved, I'm from Australia. You can probably tell from my accent, like actually more than half the people in this room actually. <laughs> um, but um, I guess I moved to SF uh, from Australia to kind of work on like just the most interesting types of tech and like mm -hmm. stuff that you couldn't do back home. Uh, and I think this is definitely one of those spaces. And like, um, yeah, I think DYDX is doing something that's, um, that has kind of like a, a use case and need today. So uh, that's, that's why I got excited by it. I have this theory about Australians in crypto and that's that we're all here just because Australians love to gamble and cryptocurrency <laughs> is just an extension <laughs> of that habit. But it sounds like you have an even more wholesome attraction to the space so that's good <laughs> i won't comment on that <laughs> wow joshan looks super uh <laughs> what do you say uh he looks super wholesome right yeah <laughs> so <laughs> anyways uh so before why don't we actually dive into uh end to end how the protocol works and you guys are actually building a couple things right, on dydx right i think the first thing that you've rolled out is this margin trading protocol and then we'll get into the product that you built on top of that um, but, and then there's also the options, uh, trading protocol, which I, I don't think is, is live yet. Right. So why don't we start with an end to end overview of the margin trading? Uh, and, uh, you know, I have a, I have some questions for you regarding some of the mechanics there so we can dive a little deeper when you get there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the first thing we built, uh, was a margin trading protocol, which basically lets you go short or get leverage on any for now, Ethereum based cryptocurrency pair. Um, and then kind of the first product we built on top of that protocol was this thing we call margin tokens. And what a margin token is, is just a way to represent a short or leveraged position as a fungible ERC-20 token. So for example, the first margin tokens we created were a short Ethereum token, which basically tracks the performance of a short position on Ether and the leveraged Ethereum token, which basically tracks the performance of a leveraged position on Ether. Um, and kind of the easiest way to think about it for short Ether is whenever Ether goes down $1, short Ethereum goes up by $1. Um, so that's really all you need to know to trade our margin products. Um, diving a little bit deeper into how it actually works on the protocol, behind each one of these margin tokens is a margin position. Um, and the margin positions work very similarly to a normal traditional margin trade in that you, whenever you margin trade, traditionally you borrow the asset that you want to say short, um, and then you immediately sell it on the spot market and you lock up some collateral to back your trade. The protocol works in very much the same way. Um, whenever you kind of take out a margin position on DYDX, you're borrowing from a lender in a peer-to-peer -peer way. Um, and then you're immediately selling what the asset that you just borrowed um, on a decentralized exchange. Uh, this is why some people say that DYDX is built on top of other decentralized exchanges, such as 0x, because we basically plug into 
uh, zero access smart contracts to immediately do the sell of the asset that our users borrow. So whenever you take out a short position on DYDX, you borrow, say, Ether if you're shorting Ether. Um, you immediately sell it on a decentralized exchange such as 0x, and then uh, you lock up some collateral. Um, so you lock up the collateral that you got from selling the Ether, um, and then you also put up some additional collateral on top of that to basically back you if the price of the position moves against you. Um, and then that collateral just kind of sits there in the smart contract for the duration of the trade. Um, and then at any time before the expiration date, you can come back and close your position. And when you close your position, you just have to buy back what you borrowed and give it back to the lender. Um, and then you get whatever's left in the position after that. And so if, say, you shorted Ether and Ether went down, then it will be cheaper to buy back the Ether that you owe to the lenders and you will have made money. And vice versa, if you would have, say, shorted Ether and then Ether went up, it would have been more expensive to buy back the Ether at the end of your trade and you would have lost money. So that's basically how the protocol works at um, a more technical level. Um, but we're really excited about the opportunity with especially the margin tokens because it takes all of this uh, complexity of doing a margin trade and distills it down into just trading an ERC-20 token. And really all you have to know to trade our short tokens is that if the underlying goes down $1, the short token goes up $1. And that's pretty much it. Yep. Uh, so I think you're describing three different components in the margin trading protocol, which are really abstracted away uh, with the short Ethereum token. But if you were to peel that back a little bit, it's the borrowing of, let's say in this case, you're shorting Ethereum. So you're borrowing Ethereum from a lender. Uh, he's also going to collect interest at the very end of this. You're selling, uh, you have a, you also go to that smart contract with um um, some sort of trade to sh a short sell that uh, Ethereum and perhaps to receiving die for it. Then you're also locking up collateral uh, into the smart contract, which is probably also a die. Um, all of that happens all or all or nothing, right? It, it, yes, okay. that's the important part is that all of these three things that happen happen atomically, mm -hmm. which means exactly what you just said. They all happen or none of them happen and they all happen atomically in one transaction. Um, mm -hmm. so that's a pretty interesting point of it as well. Yeah. And so where are you, I, I understand the, uh, trade trading aspect where you're procuring those orders probably from a Zerox relay or perhaps in the future, it could be from AirSwap or Republic protocol or some other, um, some other logic, but where are you procuring the, the, the origination of the loan, uh, right now? I, I don't know if like Blockboard, for instance, is, is offering that. Yeah, so the other thing we built as part of DYDX was basically our own entire lending protocol. Um, so there are a couple different ways that the lending protocol can work, and then I'll tell you which one we're currently using uh, in our product right now. But in general, the lending protocol works very similarly to something like Dharma in that you make off-chain signed loan offerings. Um, in Dharma, it's a little bit different. On Dharma, you basically offer to borrow something. Um, whereas on DYDX, you offer to lend something at a certain interest rate. Um, so that's currently how it works. The, the second thing we built and kind of the second alternative way to lend on DYDX is through a pooled lending approach. And this is kind of much more similar to something like Compound, which basically just has a smart contract where you can deposit into and earn interest. And then borrowers can borrow directly from that smart contract. So our... Uh, smart contract works very similarly to that in that we basically just have one lending pool for each type of short token uh, and leverage token as well. Um, and then lenders just deposit into that pool. And then whenever you uh, mint short tokens or you borrow from that pool, 
um, you're just borrowing directly from that uh, pool. Um, and yeah, that's how it works. Okay. So is there some sort of UI where uh, uh, someone that wants to loan out uh, tokens can access the DOIDUX protocol currently? Yeah, there's like a basic UI that we've built on okay. Expo Trading. It's not public yet. We've been working with kind of like a select group of lenders to begin with. Um, there's obviously a lot of demand app, well, I guess demand to lend right now. Um, but uh, in the future, it could be something that could be more sort of like open and public facing. Uh, but right now we've opened it up to just a small group of lenders. Got it. And the positions, are they fully collateralized or uh, perhaps you're tinkering with an interest rate or something like that? If they're not fully collateralized, how, how does that work? If there's no credit system currently. On yeah, the they're right? over collateralized. Yeah. Um, so that's basically how it works right now. And there's a certain collateral ratio that we enforce. Yeah. Um, so in traditional finance, how uh, margin trading works is it's usually facilitated by some sort of brokerage house like Fidelity or TD Ameritrade. If you're a hedge fund, it's probably done by your prime broker at Goldman Sachs or City or something like that. And when a position moves against you to some point where um, you get what they call a margin call, right? Uh, the position moves against you to a point uh, below the maintenance margin and the, your broker will actually physically call you uh, I think maybe now they use some uh, email or something like that, but you need to go back to your brokerage uh, house uh, and top up that position, right? So that could mean two things. Either you deposit more collateral or you sell out of your position to ultimately pad your collateralization ratio. How do margin calls work in the DYDX protocol in a decentralized manner? They work very similarly to what you just described. So very similarly to how it works in the traditional world. Um, basically, if the price falls below the maintenance level, then a margin call is put in. And that basically works exactly the same as a traditional margin call. And the margin call just says that you have to put up some additional deposit to cover you or your position will be closed. Um, so then the trader can come back and either put up more collateral or close out their position. We also have a couple automated mechanisms which will automatically close the position so that traders don't have to be always online or watching their positions. Um, so if traders want to, they can opt into this auction closing mechanism, which can automatically close their positions on their behalf. And the way we do that is by running a Dutch auction, um, which is kind of a time-based auction which offers to buy back the tokens that are owed to the lenders and effectively um, settles on the market price. So that's currently how margin calls work. Um, all of this is very customizable and like different borrowers can opt into different parts of the protocol that they want to use. It's not really like all or nothing, um, but that's how it works right now. And so uh, in that situation where you can opt into the Dutch auction, like what happens if you don't opt into that? Like obviously you're still going to get liquidated, but how does that execution work? Yeah, so for each position, there's this thing called a call time limit. And the call time limit is basically the amount of time that you have to come back and close your position. And then if you fail to do that, then the lender can come back and seize all the collateral that's locked in the position. Okay. So you're economically incentivized to actually come back and, and close the position. Um, yeah, the protocol uses a lot of these types of economic incentives to do things because in Ethereum, uh, smart contracts can't just like wake up and do something. Mm. Every interaction or transaction in Ethereum has to be initiated by an end user and they have to have an economic incentive to initiate that transaction. Um, so this is kind of one example of, of that. 
Interesting. And so the other kind of uh, trading example you gave was when the, the short sell first happens, that execution is done uh, through 0x. How does that actually work? Like, how do you choose which order book to submit orders to or what kind of order to submit? Um, like, you know, obviously the issue that we have right now uh, with 0x relays is that there's not much in the way of liquidity. Um, you know, granted, you guys are pretty early as well. So, but, you know, there could be a situation where there's not that much liquidity on the order books that you're trying to, you know, affect these short sales on. So how, how does that kind of all work and how do you think about dealing with those issues going forward? Yeah, absolutely. So from the protocol's perspective, it's really up to the user to choose the best order for themselves. Um, and the protocol will execute the trade no matter what price you give it but you always wanna say open your short position at the highest price possible. So you'll choose the best zero X order for yourself. And if there is kind of a lack of liquidity, then you likely just won't open your position. Um, this is something we can get into a little later and we're happy to chat about, but one of the really big things that we're doing at DYDX is trying to build liquidity on our protocol. Um, that's like a really big uh, challenge for us um, mm. because we kind of have a couple different types of liquidity we need. Um, like we need lending liquidity, we need underlying spot buy sell liquidity to do all of this margin trading stuff. Um, but yeah, happy to talk about that in, in depth as well. Cool. Um, I just had a question on the the short Ethereum token um, or these, these ERC20 tokens in general that represent a position. Um, I think it's a really interesting concept and a really interesting way of dealing with, you know, the general UX hurdle of using a smart contract uh, for trading. Um, but one of the issues that I kind of encountered just thinking about it was how do you know like that the price you're seeing for that token is the right price or reflects the intrinsic value of that position, especially with the short ones because it's kind of inverse, right? Like generally speaking, when I, you know, if I'm trading on uh, another derivative thing like BitMEX, you know, I can see the price that I'm shorting at and... Uh, I can kind of uh, compare that to the rest of the market or different order books to see if that's a fair price or not. But if I'm looking at a short Ethereum token that's, you know, maybe it's already, you know, Ethereum's gone down a bit, so its value's gone up a bit, and it's just kind of like some random number, like $300. How do I know that I want to be buying that token at that price and that's a fair price? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a defined price at which each token should trade, and it's basically some mathematical formula. And kind of the formula for each short token is the price of short Ether, say, will be some constant, say, like $400 minus the price of Ether times a little bit for an interest fee that you're paying to the lenders. Um, and we haven't mentioned this yet, but one of the things we built in addition to the protocol um, was an actual product on top of the protocol, which is called Expo. And on Expo, we try to surface a lot of these, these types of information, which could be useful to traders. So on Expo, we'll basically display what the target price of short Ethereum is, um, basically just using that formula and using some API to grab the current price of Ether. Um, and then we'll also display the price that you're buy buying at, which will be kind of a little bit worse than that because you have to cross the spread in order to buy. Um, but we try to be transparent about what the target price should be and then what price users are actually buying at. But yeah, this is a great point in general. Like one of the big challenges for us is explaining what we're doing to people and like explaining how the price of the margin tokens move. So it's definitely something we're actively exploring, like really a lot from a design perspective too. 
Perhaps this is a good time to dive a little deeper into Expo. Uh, you know, we'll flip-flop this. We'll get into the options protocol a little bit later. Um, well, first of all, congrats on launching Expo. That's a big deal. Um, so if for our listeners who don't know much about Expo, please, like, you know, go on Expo Trading. Uh, I think it's .io or .com. 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 Check it out. I, I was having, I was perusing it uh, the other day. You guys are rolling out. You know, I, I checked it out a couple of weeks ago, and there are two products or one product, and now there are actually four products. Uh, so there's two short Ethereum products, one that is expiring in half a month, another that is expiring in, in 28 days or something like that. I think if you use uh, that time period so you can uh, uh, file some sort of exemption with the CFTC. Uh, and then there's a, a leveraged Ethereum token, one that's expiring in half a month and one in, in 28 days or so. Um, but what actually happens... And, and you know, there's there's a buy and sell button to buy and sell those tokens. But what actually happens when you a, a user clicks that buy button uh, on Expo? Are you minting a fresh uh, short Ethereum token, or are you sitting on some sort of stockpile and uh, you know perhaps making a market and clipping some yep. sort of margin? Yeah. So just a quick clarification as well. Yeah. <clears throat> the all all positions are 28 days. All of those tokens. So like mm. you'll see if you go on Expo today, there's like two types of <clears throat> excuse me two types of short ethereum tokens and two leverage ethereum tokens um one there'll always be one that expires on the 15th of the month and another one that expires on the 30th of the month both are 28 day positions hmm. um so that's why there's like kind of four things available on there today um but yeah to answer your, your original question um when you're clicking buy on expo um, what's actually happening is that uh, a fresh token, say short Ethereum, is being minted. So all the things that Antonio was just talking about on kind of like how the protocol functions, like there's a lender behind it, there's some like a spot transaction that happens behind it, uh, is all happening as you click uh, mint or as you click buy. Um, so all the underlying kind of like mechanics of a regular short sell that's being executed by the protocol is happening um, when you are minting a fresh short Ethereum token. So when you're uh, perhaps giving Expo Ethereum, when you click that buy button, that Ethereum is actually becoming collateral for the short Ethereum token. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't understand how you fulfill all three of the components with just, just the Ethereum that the user is giving you. Yeah, so basically uh, what's happening is that the original, the underlying asset is being borrowed for one, right? Then that's being sold on some exchange call it like radar relay or something uh, converted mm -hmm. into die and that die is locked up as collateral in the position and then when a user is uh, sending eth they're actually um, that is then also being converted into die and being locked up as collateral too so uh, that's where the three different things i guess are happening to kind of lock up some die in the position which stays there for the duration and then you can either come back and close the position or like sell that token to someone else in which case, like the payout that you receive should be equal to the amount that you would receive if you actually like closed it physically yourself. Got it. Got it. Well, I think the whole tokenization of any sort of position, uh, you know, is just remarkable because now a user can customize their own risk return profile uh, behind, you know, Ethereum or something like that. I haven't seen anything like that in traditional finance. I think the closest thing to a short Ethereum might be an inverse ETF or something like that. Yeah. Although those are notorious for 
basically wrecking investors <laughs> <laughs> since the roll yield on something like that or the right. borrow just eats into your profit. I've personally gotten wrecked on so many of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's really cool. Um, do you plan on rolling out additional products uh, one by one, you know, Expo, the company, or do you plan on making this a platform business where users can also roll out their own financial products? Yeah, I think for now, likely the things that are listed on Expo will be the like quote official uh, margin tokens. But on the protocol, really anybody can do anything that they want. So anybody can go to the protocol. It's totally open and take out any type of margin position, tokenized or not, that they want to. Um, so the protocol uh, is a really good place for other people to build on top of. Um, we just thought the most useful thing to build to start was Expo. Um, and we really, really think it's important to own the end user experience um, for a product like Expo and not just kind of leave it up to other people to build on top of uh, the protocol and just really focus on doing like just the smart contracts or something like that. Um, so we really think it's important to own the end user experience and be in a position to iterate and like see how people are using the actual product um, and not just kind of theorize about how people might use a potential product. Um, so that's kind of why we made the decision to actually build the end user facing product ourselves um, and why we're going to put a lot of effort into that into the future as well. So it seems like a, it's definitely a trend that has arisen um, of late. You know, there are a lot of projects uh, perhaps in a similar position to yourself where they're building a protocol um, and now they've decided to kind of go end-to-end -end and build the end-user application. You know, there's uh, Dharma, Lever, um, and I'm sure there are a few other examples as mm -hmm. well. Uh, do, do you think that you risk kind of alienating other developers from building on your platform? Uh, what, what are the potential downsides to this, to this strategy? And do you intend to, to make Expo kind of a long-term viable business or is it more a demonstration and a learning tool for you guys? Yeah, it's very much an open question right now, to be honest, whether we kind of focus on Expo or whether we focus more on the protocol level in the future. And really the, the driving uh, thing behind that decision is how people are using the protocol um, and how people are trading margin tokens. Um, one other exciting thing that we haven't mentioned about margin tokens and tokenized financial positions is that they're just regular ERC-20 tokens, so they can be traded anywhere or on any exchange, centralized or decentralized. So one of the big initiatives we're doing is trying to work with different exchanges to try to get the margin tokens listed other places. The first place that they're listed right now is Radar Relay. Um, so kind of the, the big open question is whether people will want to interact with the margin tokens through an existing exchange or whether they'll prefer to interact with them through a native dApp such as Expo. Um, and if they kind of chose to interact with them through Expo, then yeah, it would make a lot of sense for us to focus on the actual application level more. Mm -hmm. um, conversely, if they kind of bought them more on existing exchanges, it would probably make more sense for us to, to push forward the protocol level. Um, back to your question about whether building the application ourselves kind of alienates other developers. I don't really think it does. I think the, the bigger problem, or I guess the bigger trade-off I would say between building the, the product yourself um, is that you put less effort into building open source tools. So this is something I think a number of protocols such as 0x have done an excellent job of. 
um, just purely doing the protocol level and then also building a lot of open source, say, JavaScript libraries, which make it really easy to build things like relayers on top of 0x. Mm -hmm. um, so like Dharma has done a very good job of this as well. So that's definitely one approach you can take. For us, we do have like, obviously the protocol is open source and we have a couple JavaScript libraries, but they're not like totally documented or anything like that. So we put a lot more of the percent of our effort into actually building the product on top. So it's definitely a trade-off. I'm, I'm happy with the trade-off we've made so far. Um, I think in terms of the actual protocol, as I was mentioning before, it is super customizable and that you can do a ton of different things, not just margin tokens. So a lot of the decisions we made on the protocol level really make it um, a good option for people who want to build other types of margin trading decentralized apps to build on in the future. Um, but we just decided to kind of build the end user facing product ourselves for, for a number of different reasons. Cool. Yep. Um, so you mentioned that short Ethereum is now listed on Radar Relay and perhaps people want to access that uh, through Radar Relay and not Expo because there's more market depth and things like that if they have a massive position to put on. Um, so you, and you also mentioned that you uh, are trying to enhance liquidity of the underlying spot markets for uh, some of the uh, fragments that are used to con uh, construct something like short Ethereum. Will you be also... Uh, uh, juicing up liquidity by may maybe making markets for short Ethereum itself on something like Radar Relay? Right now, uh, we're, we're not doing that. Um, we're working with kind of like external market makers to fulfill that. Um, but I think down the line, there's many different ways where we could potentially choose to inject ourselves um, to improve liquidity. Um, again, I, I think like it's kind of to Antonio's broader point around like the reason we built the product in the first place and the reason why I think it's interesting from like um, like a distribution channel, uh, getting it on like different types of exchanges is that like it, it keeps our ability to go to market pretty flexible uh, mm -hmm. and it, it keeps our ability to like participate in different areas pretty flexible as well. Um, so it may be something that down the line that we choose to do. Uh, right now we're not doing any of that um, and we're, we're kind of working with like a, a bunch of different liquidity providers um, across different exchanges. And so, <clears throat> sorry, you mentioned before, um, you know, seeing how people use the product um, and learning from that experience. Did you kind of launch, uh, come up with the idea or when you were sort of ideating, did you have a target audience in mind, you know, be it uh, a retail trader, um, you know, an institution or like an everyday crypto user that's trying to, you know, use a product but not be exposed to, you know, its tokens volatility? Um, like, did you have any kind of end user in mind and has that view evolved at all uh, since you started? Yeah, absolutely. So I kind of think about this as a spectrum from pure retail customers um, to really sophisticated institutions. I think our target customer right now is somewhere in the middle, probably more sophisticated individual traders, I would say, is the target customer right now, and also some smaller crypto hedge funds. We're also exploring ways where the short or leverage tokens could be used by, say, other crypto products that have some kind of treasury, which is held in crypto, and maybe they want to help uh, hedge that treasury or things like that. Um, so we're exploring a wide variety of use cases. Um, but I think this is something where we've also gathered a lot of information as to how people are using Expo and are using the margin tokens, even since we launched about a month ago. And I'd say probably our hypothesis was mostly correct. Right now, it's, it's mostly just sophisticated individual traders who already know what margin trading is um, and who come to Expo to see if it's something uh, that could be interesting to kind of 
get different types of margin exposure that they couldn't get elsewhere. Um, a lot of people are trying it out with smaller amounts right now, which is totally reasonable, just to kind of see like what is a short token, how does the price move, does it close at the right price, like all these types of things. I um, mean, these are all things we're uh, improving on. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the, the current usage we're seeing right now. I'd say in the longer term, um, this was one of the reasons why we decided to start with the margin trading protocol is that it is a lot simpler, um, like margin trading that is, than compared to things like more sophisticated derivatives like options. Um, in our white paper, we talked about both options and a margin trading protocol. We decided to start with a margin trading protocol because it's just a good bit simpler. And we think that there are just more people who understand margin trading right now. Like the types of people who trade more sophisticated types of derivatives are like really pretty hardcore sophisticated traders and a lot of times institutions. Um, and I think a lot of those institutions and sophisticated traders who do know how to trade more advanced types of derivatives will get into the market eventually, um, but are not like in the market in a huge way right now. So I think that market will be super interesting in the future. Um, but for now, I think the margin trading is the way to go. Interesting. And, um, you know, one of the first projects uh, in this entire space was Augur, right? And there are some kind of derivative futury aspects to that uh but of course that's all driven off price oracles or you know uh, oracles in general um there's another project out there market protocol which is like a derivatives product based on oracles why did you pick uh an architecture that you know requires access to the underlying and is kind of more hands-on in that regard what are the advantages of that and uh you know what are the particular challenges that arise yeah, so the Oracle problem is a very challenging one. I think Augur is like far and away has done a ton of work, obviously, to try to solve that problem. Um, originally, we picked the more physically settled uh, types of contracts um, because we think that those are um, just a lot simpler to make work when the things you're already trading are directly on the blockchain. So that's why we decided to start with that. Um, and it makes it really simple to create like a contract on any type of asset that is traded um, on the blockchain natively. Um, I think these types of decentralized protocols will be most suited towards trading decentralized assets in the future. I'm not sure how much it makes sense to trade more like um, synthetic assets on like more physical assets um, that don't exist on the blockchain right now. Um, so I think that that's why we decided to go with a more physically settled approach. Um, and But there are also people that are kind of going with more synthetic contracts, things like options, binary options on Augur, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we'll definitely see what the best approach is. We're definitely taking a, a pretty open approach to the types of things we design in the future. And the stuff in the white paper is by no means like the only things we're working on for the future right now either. Yep. I think it would be really helpful for the listeners if you gave us a end-to-end uh, sort of flow for the options uh, protocol, much like you did with the margin trading. Yeah, absolutely. So the options protocol is a good bit simpler, actually, from a technical perspective. Um, the protocol is for uh, covered options right now, which means fully collateralized options. So like the full value of the collateral of the option is locked up in a smart contract for the duration of the trade. So say you want to write a call option on Ether, um, which is an option to buy Ether at some strike price you would uh, create a smart contract that had 
uh, four pieces of information, the two tokens you're trading. So like Ether and then whatever quote token you were trading against. So say like DAI, um, and then the strike price of the option and its expiration date. And then that would deploy a new smart contract with all of those parameters. And very similarly to how the margin trading positions can be tokenized, each option is its own ERC-20 token. So there could be an ERC-20 token which represented that particular type of option. And then once that uh, type of option exists, anybody can come along and offer to write that option, which means uh, basically create the option and be paid some premium, which is the price that is paid immediately to the writer on option creation. Um, and then the way people offer to write options is through a, a similar process to writing a 0x order. Um, so you could offer to uh, write this particular call option for Ether, and maybe I get paid a strike price of 5 die, and then I sign that uh, message that has all that information and put it on a relayer. And then somebody else comes along and comes to the relayer and wants to buy this option and sees my offer to write it and get paid the premium of 5 die. And there's basically an order book of all these option write offers. And it'll be in everyone's economic interest, obviously, to choose the, the cheapest option write offer. So that kind of determines what the market price of the option is. And then if somebody decides to uh, come and purchase the option from me, um, they'll take that signed loan, signed, sorry, uh, option write offer that I made and send it in a transaction to the blockchain uh, to the option smart contract. And then the option smart contract will do a couple of different things. It will take the full value of the collateral from me. So if this is a call option on Ether, it'll take Ether from me and lock it up in the smart contract. Um, and then I will immediately get transferred the premium from the buyer. So I get the five die in this example. And then what the option buyer gets is a newly minted ERC-20 token, which basically just represents um, one unit of the option. Um, and then they can do whatever they want with this token, kind of trade it around on exchanges, et cetera. Um, but that's pretty much how it works. And then once whoever holds the uh, token, the option token, can later come back and exercise the option. And exercising the option just means that you pay the strike price and you get whatever collateral is held in the position. So say this were a call option for Ether for like 200 die, um, then if someone who held the option wanted to exercise, they'd have to pay the strike price of 200 die per option token. And then that would go and get locked up in the smart contract. And then they just get the Ether um, that were locked up in the contract. Um, so they could exercise the option by paying the 200 die and then they would just get the Ether back. So that's pretty much how it works. And at the end of all of that, if I'm an option writer, I can come back and claim either the ether that's locked in the smart contract if the option was not exercised, or if the option was exercised, I get to claim the die that was paid as the strike price. So it works very similarly to kind of how the tokenized margin positions work in that there is some token which represents a financial position, and then there's some way to create or destroy that token. Um, and because the creating and destroying the tokens have a set price, that basically sets the price at which the either option token or the margin token trade at. Yep. Uh, thanks for doing that. It's pretty complicated stuff, and it's 
like you didn't even blink or breathe the entire time <laughs> <laughs> you were able to spit that out. So uh, thanks for doing that. Um, so you mentioned that the protocol is really good right now for covered options. And uh, you did a really good job explaining the covered option uh, portion, but I'll just go through an example and this will lead into my next question. So say you, uh, Antonio, write me a, a call option where I have the right to buy uh, Ethereum at 100 die, right? And uh, I paid you some sort of premium, maybe one die per contract, and we, I bought 100 contracts from you, so I paid you 100 die. Um, and let's say at expiration, I want to exercise that option, and Ethereum is now worth 120 uh, die, right? So I would exercise that option and buy, uh, exercise 100 contracts and buy, you know, 100 times 100 Ether uh, from you. And, and this is covered, and, you know, you have already locked that, Ethereum in a smart contract, and essentially there's no counterparty risk, which is uh, which is I think that's that's pretty cool. Um, but every time you lock something into a smart contract, or when I get that Ethereum and are up twenty die on it and want to liquidate it into the market, I'm now moving around positions that uh, are multiples of the premium that you know I paid to you. And w- wouldn't this wouldn't you run into like market solvency sort of issues, especially, uh, uh, you know, how liquid the DEX market is right now. What's your vision for uh, that? And, you know, it's it's fairly a little bit more mechanical, right? Um, and yeah, how, how would that all work even in a more liquid market? Yeah, absolutely. So that's a good explanation and a good question as well. I'd say, so for both the margin trading protocol and in this example, like the options protocol, you do need a good bit of underlying spot, like buy sell liquidity to make the whole protocol work. Um, So that was one of the reasons we chose to plug into other decentralized exchanges rather than trying to build an entire exchange, like buy sell exchange ourselves. Um, so yeah, you're correct right now. There's not too much liquidity on decentralized exchanges. Um, this is why we're working with different types of market makers to encourage liquidity in the underlying spot markets as well. Or in the future, we could um, have different initiatives to try to make more uh, underlying spot by sell liquidity. Um, I think in the future, um, it'll make sense to try to use liquidity that's not just on decentralized exchanges, but it's also on centralized exchanges. So in your example, say you exercised your call options and now you have like a ton of Ether and you just want to offload that for cash somehow, you would probably go not just trade it on a decentralized exchange, you'd probably um, go to a centralized exchange like Binance or something like that where there are uh, deep order books and deposit it there and trade it. Um, So I think it makes sense to trade on whichever exchanges have the most liquidity. Um, we're excited about decentralized exchanges in the, in the future for them as well. But yeah, you're totally right. Like the amount of volume on decentralized exchanges right now is like many orders of magnitude less than the amount of volume on centralized exchanges. I'm optimistic that'll change in the future, but there are like a good bit of technical hurdles to get over before we get there. And just fundamentally, it's difficult to build liquidity on any type of new system um, that didn't have it before. Um, but yeah, we're, that's why we're putting a lot of our effort into building liquidity, um, in the underlying spot markets and around all the products that we make too. Yep. So what does that effort look like? <laughs> the, the other call out I'd make actually is that like, um, if we take like the margin trading, like all like margin tokens as an example, um, when like the margin tokens close and that there's a Dutch auction that runs that Antonio was kind of explaining before, like it doesn't need to be kind of like. Uh, like literally anyone could participate in that. Like, and it's actually free to to actually bid on the Dutch auction. So one example of 
to kind of to answer your question is that we could build tools to make it easier for people to actually bid on things like that, mm-hmm. right? Um, to encourage people to, um, you know, OTC desks or like individual market makers or just whoever wants to make a little bit of a spread mm-hmm. for a planned liquidity event to just participate really, really easily. Um, so it's basically it could be initiatives like that to make it simpler for people to participate in liquidity events. Interesting. Yeah, I feel like there are a few of these uh, opportunities now floating around the place. Uh, I think the first one was, uh, you know, liquidating CDPs um, for MakerDAO. But now uh, there are liquidity events for Compound. Um, I'm sure there would be for Dharma as well. Um, and, uh, you know, you guys have that that same, you pr- can provide those same opportunities. Maybe there's kind of space for you guys to collaborate on that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Because it's, it's, it's obviously like, especially for, actually for all of these products, it's fundamental to the risk parameters of the system. If people aren't actually there poking these things and liquidating them when they need to be liquidated, um, then we're going to have all sorts of problems. Uh, so yeah, I feel like that maybe that there's a, a one-stop shop for, for free money that yeah. uh, needs to be worked out here. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's definitely like the same problem as liquidating maker CDPs, mm. like compound positions or what, what have you. Um, so yeah, we're actually talking a lot with MakerDAO. We've been talking with a lot of the different people who are the ones like bidding on the, the CDP closures to try to get them to help liquidate like the DYDX positions as, as well. Um, so yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of overlap between the types of things we're doing and the types of things other protocols are doing. Mm. And for a lot of these common types of utility functions, I think it makes sense for um, the same types of people to participate in all these different things. Yeah. Doesn't wire even an OTC desk? Yep. Yep. Come on, guys. We'll, we'll talk about this after. <laughs> yeah, that's something we can work out for sure. <laughs> hey, I've I've liquidated a compound position. I made like. 20 bucks so yeah that was, that was a good time <laughs> nice man just posting those crazy returns this quarter right? yeah yeah <laughs> anyways uh well antonio siphoning uh centralized liquidity and plugging into the decentralized system that's basically music to our ears so uh yeah more uh, really looking forward to what you guys make out of that it, it's funny because the in the traditional uh finance space the derivative market is actually multiples of the underlying uh, a spot market, right? And you, uh, often, like in, in this market structure, at least, uh, the price is dictated by options uh, pricing, like the underlying price is dictated by a market that's synthetic to, to that. And I think a, there's a couple of reasons why uh, the market is able to function efficiently like that. One, there's prime brokerage services for institutions uh, where you can like not post collateral and things like that. And a lot of the options volume that's traded in traditional finance is uh, actually for naked options, right? So uh, the opposite of what we were talking about, covered options. How would you implement something like naked options uh, using DYDX? Yeah, that's actually the main area of research we're doing right now is how you can make uh, naked options or more generally uh, not fully collateralized types of financial positions on something like DYDX. So it's definitely like a very early area of research, but we think is a really, really important problem to solve um, because that's like why the derivatives market is so much bigger than the underlying spot market. Like the the sum of the notional values of like all the derivatives in the world is like 
1.2 quadrillion dollars, which is like clearly way more than all the money that exists in the world. And the reason that, as you were alluding to, is because all these things are written with not full collateralization. Um, so we're, we're definitely trying to solve that. Um, some of the early ideas that we're uh, researching are kind of amortizing the risk, like having a pool of collateral that has risk amortized across a number of different types of derivative positions. Um, so that's something we're exploring or, or kind of having a, a pool of collateral, um, which kind of functions similarly to how uh, the pool of collateral backing uh, something like DAI or like MakerDAO works. Um, so those are the types of things we're exploring right now, how you can back positions um, with overall less collateral. Um, but it gets a lot more complicated pretty quickly. Um, so it's, it's definitely an active area of research and, and something that we'll be building for in the future. Yep. Uh, perhaps that's something you guys don't have a token or anything right now, but maybe if you introduce a token, you can use that to stake or something. Just thinking out loud. Yeah, that's yeah. actually <laughs> kind of what our, our current thoughts are. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the main decisions uh, that we made early on was not to have a token. And the reason we did that was because I really didn't think there was a strong need for a token in either the current like covered options protocol or the margin trading protocol and really didn't want to force something in there. Um, so we went ahead and raised a couple of equity rounds. Um, and the way we raised equity, our equity could be converted to tokens uh, for the investors in the future. So it gives us a lot of flexibility to either capture value through, um, you know, straight up making cash, um, which would drive value to the equity or having an actually useful token in the future. Um, but some of these protocols that we're designing for the future, like specifically this naked options protocol, um, could have an actually strong need for a token in the future. So that could be one of the ways we actually capture value too. Yep. Um, do you have plans to uh, implement and tokenize more complicated option strategies like like spreads or straddles? And, and for our listeners, I'll just uh, go over that really quickly. A spread is a simplest explanation of a spread I can think of is like a, a call spread, a bull call spread, where you uh, buy an, an at-the-money uh, call option, and those are really expensive because they're very close to um, at-the-money means it's very close to the price that the underlying is trading at. And then you subsidize that fat premium that you pay uh, for uh, by selling and out of the money. So that's uh, a strike price that's much higher than what is the underlying is at right now. And uh, by selling that call option, you basically collect some premium and subsidize that position. Um, and then the straddle would be buying volatility, basically buying a call and a put uh, at the money. Um, which is useful for, you know, if you know of some event that's coming down the calendar and perhaps you don't know which direction the underlying is going, but you know something's going to happen. Anyways, do you have plans to roll that out in a tokenized manner as well? Yeah, absolutely. There are a number of different ways you could implement things like this. Um, so one of the ways you could do it is through something like a set, which just lets mm -hmm. you compose different types of tokens. So maybe you had like a set of like a put option and, and a call option. Um, so that would allow you to make uh, different types of option strategies, or you could make options which would atomically like uh, write a certain option and like buy another one, um, which could could make different types of, of strategies there too. Um, so yeah, absolutely. There's like tons of different things you could build on top of the base primitive of just having an option. And that's actually one of the super powerful things about decentralized finance in general is that all of these things are totally open and that there are standards for them too. Like each ERC-20 token is implemented in the same way. So like in the same way you could make a set of like uh, REP and like ZRX, you could make a set of like two of our options tokens. 
Um, so that's just like an interesting way where our protocol could plug into some of the things that other types of uh, financial protocols are, are building as well. That's super cool. I need to get your email address after this so I can pony over my resume. <laughs> uh, well, moving on. Uh, oh yeah, one last question uh, regarding just novel financial products and things like that. Is there a way to implement something like swaps on the current protocol, uh, the current architecture that DYDX is built on? We're seeing a ton of projects come our direction uh, that are you know working on just swaps on the blockchain sort of thing. Is that something you guys can just accomplish right now? Yeah, we haven't thought too much about it. We're mostly focused on just the margin trading and then some of the research things around the options protocol in the future. But but definitely we might think more seriously about other types of derivatives, such as like swaps or, or other things. So yeah, don't have too much to say about it because I haven't thought uh, personally too much about it right now, but I'm sure there are tons of interesting things we could build in like very much the same manner as we've built the other protocols. Interesting. So <clears throat> you guys, uh, your protocol's designed, you need access to the underlying asset to trade it. And that leaves you with the question, what's going on in EOS land? What's going on with Definity? Is Hashgraph a scam? You know, like <laughs> you guys obviously must be looking at the the ex-Ethereum world, right? Um, I think there are a few tokens trading on EOS now. Uh, how do you how do you think about that? And you know, do you have any kind of allegiance with the Ethereum community? Yeah, absolutely. So there are two uh, really important points that we're thinking about when we choose which blockchain to build on top of. The first is the actual developer experience and how easy it is, and how scalable and how decentralized the underlying blockchain is. Um, so I think in all those regards, Ethereum is far and away the winner right now, though other things like I'm excited about Definity or like Polkadot in the future could come along and perhaps out-execute Ethereum on a lot of those verticals. The second thing that's really important for us and most financial protocols is uh, access to other tokens or like assets to trade natively on the blockchain. Because right now it's really difficult to go across blockchains. So that's why you see us only adding uh, trade for tokens that already exist on the Ethereum blockchain. So things like Ether or like ZRX is like an Ethereum token or like REP is an ERC20 token. Um, but it would be more difficult for us to say add a trade for like EOS or something like that. Because that token doesn't natively exist on the Ethereum blockchain anymore. Um, so this is an active area of research for a lot of different projects, um, just cross-chain swaps or tokenizing other assets on, on different blockchains. Um, you can kind of do it in either a centralized or decentralized way. There was recently this initiative that came out to tokenize Bitcoin on the Ethereum blockchain in a centralized way. So, so kind of similar to like Tether, but mm -hmm. for like Bitcoin as an Ethereum token. So we just have like an ERC-20 token that represented uh, Bitcoin on the Ethereum blockchain. Um, and it would be backed by some Bitcoin held in collateral by a centralized entity. Um, so we could potentially, like once that comes out, we could potentially add trade for like say short Bitcoin or leverage Bitcoin or something like that. So those are the two things we're kind of evaluating when we're deciding which blockchain to use. Personally, I think that Ethereum is still like, like very likely to be the blockchain for smart, con smart contracts um, that will be used far into the future. I think they have a lot of network effects, especially like with all the developer tools that have been built up. Mm. Like people don't realize like how many layers of the stack of developer tools you need to build an actual product. 
like we still even struggle like building on ethereum is not even remotely close to building like a re like a regular web application in terms of how mature the developer ecosystem is so we just run into like a lot of random problems with dealing with things like you know like MetaMask and Fura, like all this different stuff. And like, I love MetaMask and Fura. They're doing like a lot of amazing work, but it's just really difficult to build those types of things. And people don't realize that for each, every single one of these like developer tools that have been built up on top of Ethereum, you've got to build them up on whatever other blockchain you're using too. Like you need like MetaMask for EOS, like you need Infura, like some kind of node you can read from. You need like Truffle, which is like this library that let you lets you build smart contracts. You need an actual like smart contract language, like Solidity or something like that. So there's just like many different levels of things you need to build on top of the blockchain. That's not just the blockchain that makes building decentralized apps possible. Interesting. So uh, you, you did mention there uh, that you make some kind of qualitative assessment as to decentralization. Um, what do you what do you think about EOS? I mean, it is theoretically the leader in in terms of having tokens on its platform. Yeah. So, um, so this is just my personal opinions, but for me personally, I don't think EOS is nearly even close to as decentralized as something like Ethereum. Um, it definitely like pretty um, purely makes the trade-off of decentralization for scalability. And for some applications, that's totally fine. Like maybe for like CryptoKitties or something like that, like, mm -hmm. okay, maybe I don't really care that much if my, if my cat is like totally decentralized. <laughs> like I'm not going to be super heartbroken. Well, maybe I will be, but probably not you. Um, that my decentralized cat was like taken away by the block producers or something like that. Um, but for things like building financial protocols or especially trading like derivatives, like if you enter into a derivatives contract, like you want to have a lot of confidence that that contract will be executed um, as per your understanding. And you don't want anybody to come in and potentially be in a position to alter like the execution of that contract. So for that reason, I think decentralization is really important for what mm -hmm. we're doing and kind of the choices that Ethereum has made um, and just has like a long history of being pretty decentralized. Um, I mean, people like uh, give it crap for like the whole like DAO fork. Um, and like personally, I was against that when it happened, but I wasn't like so against it that I was going to like fork off into Ethereum Classic or something like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I could talk about this for a while, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I think like after that, Ethereum has made a lot of choices that make it like pretty decentralized. Um, people like would say that probably Bitcoin is more decentralized and I would like totally agree with that. But Bitcoin, like, uh, like Ethereum makes some trade-offs to be able to offer like a greater degree of, uh, generality or like be able to support like different types of smart contracts that Bitcoin doesn't have to. So it's all like totally trade-offs. Um, there are things that you can do, um, to make it like to get scalability without sacrificing decentralization, things like sharding, uh, et cetera. Um, so I think that's like what the, the blockchains that I'm excited about are all working on. So things like I'm personally excited about like Ethereum, Definity and Polkadot, and they're kind of all implementing like the same thing, like some like proof of stake, some like sharding, um, and that, and that type of stuff. And they're also using like eWASM, which is a, a certain type, um, of, of, uh, 
platform that the smart contracts run on. Um, so I'm excited. I think all of the three of them are converging on that as like at least the next like technology that they're all building. So I think it comes down to execution and whichever team can execute, I think will be in the best position to um, win over a lot of the smart contract developers. And But like I was saying before, Ethereum has already built up a lot of this developer ecosystem around it, which is tough to replicate too. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, uh, thanks, Louis, for completely derailing the conversation. <laughs> Bye, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, so I, I do want to get into uh, go-to-market. Uh, so you mentioned that you're currently, uh, short Ethereum is currently listed on Radar Relay, right? Um, so what's your go-to-market for uh, getting on other DEXs and things like that? And maybe are you going to roll away from just zero X relayers? Um, and also for like the loan origination uh, side, I think you mentioned go to OTC desk and funds and things like that. But if you can give me a clear sort of business plan, plan that would be great. Yeah, we're definitely thinking about a lot of different things right now. So, uh, I mean, first of all, kind of like we're exploring the decentralized exchange sort of front, um, starting off with kind of like obviously radar and then some of the other larger um, zero X relayers. Um, so for example, like DDEX. Um, and then we're definitely open to some of the other ones as well. So like, um, there's obviously like Kyber, Swap, you know, IDEX, some of those guys um, where it's, I think the beauty of this type of margin token product is that like a lot of these exchanges can just add margin trading functionality just through an ESC20, which is really easy for them. Uh, and like mechanically, it's just adding like one token. Um, so that's sort of one track. The second track is... I think we alluded to before is kind of like centralized exchanges. Um, I'd say like, you know, as, as everyone knows, there's like just a, you know, many orders of magnitude more volume on, on those exchanges. So, uh, and again, like it's the same value proposition, like exchanges are pretty, I feel like pretty commoditized. Uh, and if like they can add like new products and new features that their users can access that you can't get on other exchanges, like it becomes like pretty compelling. Um, so we're pretty excited to work with like centralized exchanges on that, uh, getting kind of like short and leveraged Ethereum listed. Um, kind of the process there is again, similar to how it would work kind of with any other exchange, kind of like liquidity is pretty important. We're working with like different liquidity providers on that front. Um, and then there's a few other things we're exploring, right? So like things that um, like treasury management, mm -hmm. for example, um, projects looking to hedge, um, Another use case could be like OTCs who uh, are looking to hedge a particular trade for a specific period of time. Um, that could be something else that could be interesting. Um, but yeah, I think right now the, the, the two kind of like key focuses are like exchanges, so decentralized and centralized. And then obviously like expos, like obviously, you know, our own kind of like internal product like channel that we're exploring as well. Yep. So for individual users or institutions to ac access DYDX, are you going to uh, provide them with an API or some sort of like widget where they can build their own UI or how, how would the technical aspects be communicated? Yeah, I think for that. So right now we just have the web interface. We are exploring building like APIs um, to make it easier for more automated traders to interact with the, the protocol right now. Um, so yeah, definitely exploring that for the future. I think to start with, we really wanted to make the actual end user interface. Um, I mentioned this before, but one of the big problems for us is just like explaining like what we're doing to people and like what is a short token, like how does the price move, like all this stuff. So like a user interface is required to understand all of that. Um, but in the future, if we work with people on a more like 
individual or like B2B basis, then they would probably interact with our stuff through an API. Yep. So now that you've built this uh, decentralized application on top of your trustless uh, protocol, you are in the eyes of regulators, uh, you know, you could be seen as someone that is selling, uh, you know, derivatives or making markets for derivatives or something like that. Um, with, if you're just on the protocol layer, you could probably argue you're just a technology provider and, uh, you know, you just created this open source software that other dApps, uh, you know, make financial products on top of. But now that you've built a dApp, you're clearly in that gray area, at least. What's your long-term plan uh, to, to tackle the regulatory aspects? Yeah, it's definitely like a, an ongoing thing. Um, so I, I think like we, we take obviously the regulatory side like very seriously. Um, so we work with external counsel um, on a lot of these issues, both kind of like in advance of and like, you know, I guess leading up to the launch and even ongoing from that. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's a lot of kind of like gray areas and unanswered questions um, that many projects face and we're in a really similar boat. So we're kind of taking the like a very long-term approach here in that like it's it's probably better to like at least be part of the conversation rather than be in the face of it um so we in the lead up uh, as an example like in the lead up to kind of like launching our margin trading product or both the protocol and expo um we we did meet with the regulators a couple of times um at the cftc um so yeah it's something that we're actively kind of working on it's by no means kind of like a you know, set period of time. And I think it's going to be an ongoing thing, both for like our options product, whatever that is in the future, um, as well as kind of like on an ongoing basis as we try and, you know, build, you know, whether it's like more tools on like the liquidity side or like more products and features on Expo. Um, yeah, I think it's an ongoing thing. Yeah. And also that this was another reason why we decided to start with just the margin trading protocol. Um, so you briefly mentioned this before, but there is an exemption for uh, margin trading or retail commodity transactions where if they're actually delivered, which means you basically just actually give people their money back within 28 days, then they fall outside of the CFTC's jurisdiction. So like importantly, um, what we're doing with the margin trading protocol, at least, we don't consider it to be a derivative, but we consider it just to be a normal margin trade um, where we're falling like well within the, the established regulation for that. Once you get to more advanced types of derivatives, like options, like options are clearly a derivative and specifically like a swap. So that's why we're, we're taking like a longer term approach to how we can add those types of financial products in a compliant way. Um, but, but for now, we feel good about where we're at. And as Joshin mentioned, we're kind of engaging with the regulators. And we're built like in the U.S., serving U.S. customers. Like we're not like offshore anywhere. We're just a normal Delaware C corporation. So we're really trying to build this in the U.S. in a compliant way. Um, and, and that's kind of how we're thinking about it. Do you think there's a uh, appreciation from regulators about having a U.S.-centric approach? Because, I mean, they're kind of uh, facing this issue where, you know, they want the industry to stay on shore. Um, they don't want to, you know, scare everybody away. But then again, I think they probably know that their regulatory regime is more onerous than, you know, other jurisdictions. Um, like, is there a, like a willingness to, to try and work things out? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, this is why we've been talking to the CFTC for a while. We've submitted multiple comment letters to them, are really trying to actively engage with them, both on the margin trading protocol and the options protocol and anything else we do in the future as well. So we're, we're happy to continue to engage. I think a lot of these regulations were, were really built, obviously, before anything at all like cryptocurrency existed. Um, and they're treat, being treated um, as derivatives on commodities, so derivatives on things like, you know, corn and stuff like that. And corn is just, like, fundamentally a lot different than, like, Ethereum. Um, so a lot of uh, these... <laughs> Wait, what? I <laughs> <laughs> know, right? Um, but, yeah, a lot of the, the laws were, were kind of written before any of this, this these types of things existed. So I, I think, like, the regulators also need to have a good bit of flexibility to try to understand, like... Um, the ways in which these can be traded. Mm. Um, but we do think that there are a lot of positives, um, even from a regulatory perspective, um, that something like our uh, options protocol offers as well. Like one of the big things that the, the CFTC or like regulators are worried about, especially for derivatives contracts, is deliverability. So like if I enter into a, uh, an option with you, like how do we know that the, the option is going to be executed at like the, the price that we enter into? And that's why there's so much regulation around things like exchanges and clearing houses and stuff like that. Um, but with DYDX, like you can literally see the code that the option is going through and you can confirm um, that it will in fact be executed at the price that we both agree to. So for, for things like deliver deliverability, um, another thing that regulators are worried about is reporting. So like, how do we report the trades that we entered into to the CFTC? Well, on DYDX, it's literally as simple as giving the regulators your address, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, that's a, a big positive for, for something like them. Um, so we do think that fundamentally there are a lot of positives to, to what we're doing from a regulatory perspective. And we just don't, we need to like not be pigeonholed into laws that don't make sense, but need to work with the regulators to figure out laws that do make sense for the types of things that we're doing too. Yeah, well, I think the, uh, just the kind of the, the overall sort of level of transparency. I mean, I know most of the kind of comparable traditional derivatives here do go through central clearing houses. So they're, you know, relatively transparent in that sense. Um, like it's not all kind of opaque OTC deals, but uh, there is something kind of fundamentally attractive about, you know, on-chain financial products to regulators because they can just see what's going on. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, and I think they're pretty engaged. Like, you know, one of the big things that we try and do is just like, it's like super important for everyone. I think it's just education, right? Just like getting them more familiar with what we're building and how it works. Um, so it's something we want to continue to invest in going forward for sure. Yeah. Final question from me. Um, what are some key hires you are trying to make right now and some job openings you have open, you know, just so our listeners are aware? Yeah, for sure. Um, so right now the, the highest priority, uh, is on kind of two fronts. Um, you know, we're looking for a product designer, um, you know, given that we're, we are building kind of our own web applications. Um, there's a ton of really interesting work to come in and, and, and really lead um, or set the tone for design in the company. Um, obviously, engineering is a huge priority. So we've got you know, multiple roles open um, across the stack. Um, right now, the team is uh, four engineers, uh, including Antonio. Um, Antonio is, I guess, a hybrid. He does sort of everything. <laughs> uh, uh, and then um, myself, and we just hired a recruiter, an internal recruiter. So uh, engineering design are kind of the, definitely the two highest priority roles. Um, you know, check us out. Definitely come and meet the team. Thomas has a CFA 
he's looking for a job. <laughs> yeah, once I got you know transferred from the trading department to hosting <laughs> podcasts, <my laughs> salaries declined significantly. <laughs> also, getting wrecked on Bitmax. It seems. <laughs> yeah. Any final questions, Louis? Um, no, that's all for me. Good, good. Uh, well, thanks so much for joining, uh, Joshan and Antonio. Where can people get in touch with you or read about uh, the work that DYDX is doing? Yeah, I mean, in a number of different ways. You can join up. We have a pub- public uh, Slack channel that you can kind of like join. There's like tons of good discussion there about the protocol and, and expo. Um, you can email contact at DYDX. Uh, you can hit either of us up on Twitter. Um, yeah, look forward to hearing from you. Awesome. We'll definitely post that in the show notes. Well, thanks again. And uh, thanks so much for joining us today to learn more about DYDX. Like I said, check out the show notes. Uh, Remember to subscribe also to get the latest episodes of Wire Talks. If you have any questions or comments, reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or the Wire blog, whatever works for you. If you like this episode, share it with your friends and colleagues. Thanks again for listening.